All right, good morning, community. How's everybody doing? That's good. Um, did you have a good week? Yeah? Well, I want you to know some, some, some things were going on while, while you guys were at work or doing other things this week. We actually had some of our staff team were actually out uh, in, in the Balkans area. I kind of like to keep you guys up to speed on some of this stuff. It wasn't me this time. It was some other people, and they were actually training uh, church planters in places like Kosovo and Croatia and Bulgaria and Macedonia and Montenegro and Greeks. And if you don't know what that is, go and, and look it up on a map. But they actually trained this week over 200 church planters to go out and plant churches and to be reproducing churches. And I think that is just an awesome, awesome thing. Um, you know, we talked about this two weeks ago, how, you know, I think God's just kind of using an ordinary group of people to do extraordinary things. That's just one more example of how God is at work using you people. So thank you for that. Um, here's, here's where we're going to start. How many of you have a, uh, a toddler in your life? And it, it, it might, yeah, there you go. Look at that. Right? It might, might be your own kid, might be a grandkid, might be a niece or a nephew or a neighbor. But you've got a toddler, yeah? i got a toddler in my life. i got a toddler, yeah? Okay, a whole bunch of us toddlers in our lives. Um, I mean, so cute, right? So, 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 so cute. But, I mean, a toddlers can also be a little me-centered, am I right? can be a little me-centered. And I've spent time with toddlers. I've raised toddlers. And uh, they have kind of a code of conduct that I think we could kind of call it the, the toddler's rules of possessions, the toddler's rules of possessions. And, and, and so we kind of made a top 10. Here's, here's like 10 toddler's rules of possessions. Rule number one is this. If I like it, it's mine. Right? Rule number two for a toddler. If it's in my hands, it's mine. <laughs> Rule number three is this. If I can take it from you, it's mine. Rule number three, toddler rules of possessions. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. This was my favorite of mine. Five. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. Number six, toddler rules of possession. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. <laughs> Number seven, if it looks just like mine, then it's mine. Number eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. Nine, I like nine too. Here's number nine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, then it automatically just becomes mine. <laughs> and number 10, if it's broken, well, then it's yours. <laughs> if it's broken, then it's yours. All right, oh. We, we laugh at this stuff, but ask yourself this. Is the way we feel about our stuff, our possessions, our money, really that much different? We had a little fun. We asked the question, what if, what if, what if adults acted like toddlers? Maybe it looked like this. Sure, applaud if you want. <laughs> I'll tell you what, here we're in, we're in week, week three of our series uh, that we're calling One. 
And um, we're challenging any of you that have already uh, made a decision to be a, make a commitment. We'd love to have you at the advanced commitment night that Sherry talked about. But for the rest of us, it all culminates on February 28th. And that Sunday we're calling Commitment Sunday, uh, where we'll make a two-year generosity commitment. And, and here's the thing that we want, and, and, and we sincerely want this. I would love to see 100% participation from anybody who calls community their church home. And I think what happens is when you make a, make a choice like that, particularly a choice of generosity, what you're doing is you're saying God is number one. And that's what we want to see. We want to see 100% of people saying God is number one. And we're one church with one vision. We can accomplish the stuff we're dreaming about here, this one mission that God has before us. I think it's God's desire, and, 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 and quite frankly, it's our dream to see this Acts 4 kind of vision of a church come true. If you remember, going back to this verse in Acts chapter 4, it says this, and it describes the early church, the whole congregation of believers was united as one. Look at that, the whole, 100% of them, all of them were together in this thing, <clears throat> united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said what? <laughs> there was no toddler's rules of possession in the early church, right? That's mine. You can't have it. They shared everything. They shared everything. I think it's almost hard for us to even imagine that kind of oneness, that kind of generosity. And I think part of the reason it's hard for us to imagine it is because I think we've been trained and even kind of socialized into a, a scarcity mindset, a scarcity mentality. How many of you ever heard that phrase before, a scarcity mentality? Okay, a few of you. The first time I ever heard that phrase was actually from Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey wrote this huge bestseller several years ago, probably a decade or more ago, called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, to my knowledge, he's not a Christ follower, but a very spiritual person. And I think he nails it when he says this. Look what he says about scarcity mentality. He says, people with a scarcity mentality, they see life as having only so much. Check this out. As though there were only one pie out there. And if someone were to get a big piece of the pie, it would mean a lot less for everybody else. See, a scarcity mentality revolves around this idea that there simply is not enough for everyone. And so we can't think about we. I can only think about me and mine. And so what a scarcity mentality does, a scarcity mentality, it inevitably leads to competition and bitterness and jealousy and selfishness and stress and the exact opposite of what we see in that Acts 4 church. Now, the opposite, though, of a scarcity mentality is really an abundance mentality. An abundance mentality says that God, he created it all. And if there's ever a need for more, there's an abundance out there that he has access to. And here's what I think. I think God is calling us to be a unique people who will refuse to buy into a scarcity mindset that says, oh, there's only a little bit and I have to get mine. But instead, an abundance mentality says it's all God's and here's the fact. Think about this. If it's all God's and he created it all, that means there's a lot more where that came from. There's a lot more where that came from. And I'll tell you what, if you begin to buy into that and really believe that like I do, I'm telling you, sharing, <clears throat> cooperation, community, generosity, like you see in Acts 4, it begins to just kind of flow. So here's what I want to do. I want to continue our journey this morning. I want to look at the story of a guy in the Bible. And he kind of grew up. He grew up. Uh, away from a scarcity mentality, from a me and mine, into a, an abundance mentality of we and kind of ours. His name is Zacchaeus. How many of you heard the story of Zacchaeus before? Okay, Zacchaeus, I, I want to give you a little few thoughts. I think maybe we'll give you some different things that maybe you've heard before about Zacchaeus. But it starts in the third book of the New Testament, Luke. And here's, here's where it starts. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Something I learned just this last week. Didn't know this before. 
When Zacchaeus' parents named him, they actually probably named him Zacca. Okay, they actually probably named him Zacca. And Zacca actually means pure or, or righteous or, or really loving or even generous. And I imagine that they had dreams for what little Zacca would soon become. But probably like every you know, toddler in Jericho, he probably threw his tantrums and the Jericho toys are us at time to time, right? But someday, someday they hoped he would live into that name. He would become righteous, justice, just. He would become someone who, who, who was generous. Now keep that in mind because we go on to the next verse in verse 2. It says this. It says, who was somebody he became? He became a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. I think for you to kind of enter into the story of Zacchaeus, and maybe for all of us, this is what I hope, to see yourself in the story of Zacchaeus. Think about this. There's a vision that your father, your heavenly father, has for your life. But then there's also who we become. And in many ways, finding your way back to God, we talk about that, finding your way back to God is realizing the original vision that your heavenly father had for you. And the vision that Zacchaeus' parents had for him was that he would be righteous, just, loving, generous kind of person. Well, Zacchaeus becomes this chief tax collector. Now, in those days, the Roman Empire, they had conquered the known area called Palestine. And in, that, in Palestine was the town of Jericho. Now, Palestine could have basically be broken up into three kind of different, different regions. And each of these regions would have a chief, chief, chief tax collector. And how do you become a chief tax collector? Well, kind of like things happen in Chicago. You bribe somebody, right? That's how it happens. <laughs> and that's the way they did it back then, right? You've got to, got to grease some palms a little bit. And so you bribe somebody, pretty soon you get to be a chief tax collector. And what they would do is they'd say, okay, you got the whole region there, and the way this works is here's how much, I, here's how much money we gotta, you got to get from those people in taxes. Whatever you want to do on top of that, awesome. You keep that for yourself. So you're probably a step ahead of me. Zacchaeus here, okay, amongst Jewish people, tax collectors, were kind of considered the lowest of the low, not very popular. Why? They worked for the occupying pagan Roman government. They cheated people. They threatened people. They blackmailed people through, their, through, through taxation. But then he was a chief tax collector, which meant on top of that, he taught other people how to do this. Okay, so not a lot of love for Zacchaeus. So we keep going on. Verse 3 and 4, here's what it says. Well, he wanted to see Jesus. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was, was, coming, was coming that way. Now, by this time, Jesus had become kind of like a rock star. He was this kind of this very recognizable public figure. And, and, and Zacchaeus, even somebody who was kind of a shady, hated, greedy sort of character, was interested in Jesus. I was thinking about this. You know, I don't know if I've ever met anybody who wasn't interested in Jesus. Quite frankly, I think sometimes people have problems with the church. But when it comes to Jesus, almost everybody is interested in Jesus. And Zacchaeus was one of those guys. He was interested in Jesus. He wanted to meet this, this, this Jewish rabbi. There was something about him. And so it goes on and it says this. It says, when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, you come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house today. So he came down and at once, I came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, I want you to think about this scene for a moment, okay? Um, imagine huge... Just huge crowds. I mean, huge, huge, uh, think, think of like a Bernie Sanders rally, okay? 
or a Donald Trump rally. We'll make everybody happy, both sides of the aisle, okay? Um, and, or better yet, this is a Jesus rally, okay? There we go. We can all, Jesus rally. And Jesus suddenly turns his attention to this little guy who's up in the tree who's, who's curious about him. And he says, hey, I'm coming over to your house for dinner. Kind of an odd thing, isn't it? I'm coming to your house for dinner. That's not really, really polite in our world, right? I mean, let's say I, I kind of all of a sudden I just stop church. And I'm going like, what, excuse me, what's your name? Diane. Diane. Diane, guess what? I'm coming to your house for lunch. What are we having? <laughs> see, she's freaking out already going, oh, my goodness, right? Now, now, see, for us, that seems like a really awkward, weird thing to do. I'm not really going to do that, okay? But sometimes if you want to invite us over, we'd be glad to, you know, work it out. Um, but, for that, but back then... Actually, to have somebody like that of Jesus' stature, that was a, invite, say, I'm coming to your house, that was a huge, huge compliment. It was a huge compliment. Because eating with somebody was a clear cultural statement that, you know what, I accept you. I value you. I would be happy to be associated with you so much so I'm going to come over to your house and we're going to hang out together. So the story continues. Zacchaeus, okay, here's what happens, does take Jesus home. They do have dinner together. But now all of a sudden, here's this huge gap kind of in the storytelling. It doesn't tell us what happened at dinner. It doesn't tell us if they, you know, if they ordered Papa John's or Chinese carryout. It doesn't tell us if Mrs. Zacchaeus came along or was just kind of all the guys hung out together. We don't get any of that kind of stuff. We don't know really what actually happened. But somewhere in Jericho, we do know this, okay? We do know this, that Zacchaeus' life was radically transformed. It just took one meal, one day, one encounter with Jesus, and this Jericho chief tax collector, his life is transformed. Look at this next verse. Here's here's how we know. Look at verse 8. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and said, hey, Jesus, Jesus, I got it. I got it. Look, here's what I'm going to do. Here and now, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor, and if there's anybody that I've cheated, and you know I have, because that's the business I've been in. I'm going to pay back them four times the amount that I cheated from them. I mean, just kind of take the words in on the monitor there. This corrupt tax collector, greediest guy in town, says, here and now, I'm giving 50% of everything I have to the poor. This is crazy talk. But here it is, this me-first guy, this guy who's always his whole life been socialized to have a scarcity mindset He figures out, you know what? No, I'm giving it all away. What happened? What happened here? What happened? Well, Jesus explains, and he says, here's what happened. In a phrase, he says, today, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. Do you know what's going on here? Zacca is finally growing into, he's finally maturing into the meaning of his name, pure, just, righteous, loving, generous. He encounters Jesus. And when he encounters Jesus, what happened with him happens with all of us. When we encounter Jesus, I mean the real Jesus, there's a transformation that takes place in our heart. Hear me on this. There's a transformation that takes place in our heart. And there's a transformation that takes place in our mind. Because what happens is in our hearts, all of a sudden, we begin to want. Because God's Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus comes to life inside of us, okay? That's a, that's a supernatural deal. And when that begins to happen, I'm telling you, here's what happens. You begin to want things different than you used to. 
And when, and when the spirit of Jesus comes to life inside of you and you have that encounter with Jesus, you begin to think differently. You begin to have a different mindset about things. It's a transformed heart and a transformed mind. And I'll tell you what, in particular, if we kind of follow Zacchaeus and kind of break it down, we see this transformation expressed in some real tangible ways. I mean, take a look at this. I mean, the first way, the first thing is uh, this transformation took place. Let's go ahead and change it and go to the next slide. It transformed his finances. I mean, you can't mistake that. How Zacchaeus thought about money dramatically changed somewhere during that meal. Because all of a sudden, instead of amassing wealth for himself, he now he gave half his possessions away. Instead of kind of cheating people, which has been the business he'd been in, he not, he not only made restitution, but he paid him back four times what he'd taken. And he started not just managing money for his own gain, but now for the benefit of other people. And here's what happens. When we have that kind of an encounter with Jesus, and he transforms our heart, and he transforms our mind, and we move from the scarcity mindset, oh, there's just a little bit, I gotta hold on to it, hold on to it, hold on. There's an abundance mindset. No, it's all God's, and I'm just managing it. What he asks us to do, hey, just honor me. Just honor me with whatever I'm giving you. And please get this. this is, I think this is important because sometimes we freak out on this money stuff. Some, he's not asking you to give it all away. He's just saying, no, I want you to honor me with whatever you have. And so we ask questions like, am I, ask yourself this, am I honoring God with my spending decisions? Hmm. Am I honoring God with my savings decisions? Some, some of us, I mean, we get so freaked out that, that we're going to lose stuff. We just keep stockpiling, stockpiling. But am I honoring God with my saving decisions too? Am I honoring God with my, decision, my, my giving decisions? See, there's a transformation that takes place, I think, in our hearts and our minds when we have this encounter with Jesus. And we move from kind of this, this scarcity mindset to an abundance. Oh, it's all God's and there's more where that came from. I think there's, there's been a number of times in my own life where that's become real. I remember one time in particular, this goes back several years, and the, and the church uh, we, it wasn't, wasn't that old. We were just a few years into it. And um, early in the life of the community, I mean, we just, we just lived from week to week. Whatever came in is what we spent on the mission. And then if people gave, we spent on the mission the next week and kind of kept this thing moving forward. And I remember one particular week, um, financially, it was really, really tight. I was kind of actually, quite frankly, going, I don't know if we're going to be able to pay all the bills. And I remember just praying, saying, God, you got to come through for us. God, we really need your help. We feel like you called us to this mission of helping people find their way back to God. I don't know if, you know, we're going to be able to, we just need help. Well, the next day, Marilyn, Marilyn was kind of the part-time person who worked in finances back, back then. She came in. I remember she came in, and she had a big smile. She said, hey, good news. <laughs> I was like, what? And she plopped down three envelopes on my desk that had come in the mail that day. And this was very unusual. And there were three checks. And the three checks that were there were checks for almost the exact amount, just a little bit more than exactly what we needed. And I was just like, oh, that is so awesome, right? You pray in this prayer, and God comes through. And I remember I went home, and, uh, and I told Sue, I said, hey, you know, you know things were really tight uh, with the church, and we got three pretty good-sized checks, at least for us then, that came in, paid the bills, things were awesome, and, and I was praying about it, and I felt like really answered prayer. And I, and I remember Sue was, Sue was happy, I was happy, and then all of a sudden, Sue got this glimmer in her eye. And she looks at me, and she said, you ever think about praying for our finances? And uh, I kind of almost took it like a dare. I'm going, okay, okay. 
And I took it kind of like a dare, you know, as you would, just kind of, and I can't say I took it really serious, but I, I did kind of throw up a prayer, you know, and I mostly kind of forgot about it. And um, the, week, the rest of the week passed, and then we had church on Sunday, and then I was in the office on Monday, and Marilyn came in again, and Marilyn, she, she put a, a check on my desk. She said, hey, you need to call this person. I think they don't understand how things work when they want to make a donation. I said, what's the problem? She said, well, look at the, pay the order of, and pay the order of actually had my name in it. And so I said, oh, I'll, I'll call them, because I figured it was someone who's brand new, and they just, they thought, I don't know, we'd make the check to the pastor or something instead of Community Christian Church. And so I called them up, and I said, hey, um, thank you very much for your generosity. We got your check, this, uh, but you put my name in there, so if you could, we'd love to have you just, if you want to just write another check and put Community Christian Church in the pay to order of, and I'll just rip this one up, and we'll be all good. And the other on the phone, she's, this, this person said, said um, well, um, I don't know how to exactly explain it, but all week... I just kept feeling like I could get this prompting that instead of writing a church, the check to the church, I was supposed to write it to you. And so I want you to have that check. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so I took the check and then I went home and I was like, I showed Sue going, hey, look at this. <laughs> and you know what? It's stuff like that that happens, right? When, I mean, where God comes through. Or then even surprises, just kind of has moved me from the scarcity mindset that I got to just kind of hang on to stuff because someone might get it. There's not very much out there. You know what? No. God's got it all. He's got this under control. And there's more where that came from. So here's, here's, that's the first thing that happened. There was, a, there was a transformation in his finance. But secondly, there was also a transformation in his relationships. Clearly, there was a transformation in his relationships. Imagine the looks on the people's faces when, when Zacchaeus comes knocking on their door. Who is it? Zacchaeus. Uh, we don't want any, right? No, no, no. You want it this time. No, we don't want any. Come answer the door. They finally open the door, and he's got one of those giant publisher clearinghouse checks for four times the amount that he took from them. What do you think their reaction is? Right. <laughs> that's exactly right. <gasps> I think that's what happened. And after, Jesus encountered, after Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, he began to care more about others than even his own wealth, and his heart began to expand. Like the Grinch. Remember the story of the Grinch? Says, and what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew what? Three sizes that day. <laughs> That's right. Zacchaeus no longer had the scarcity mentality. I got to keep it. I got to hoard it. I got to hang on to it. No, there was an abundant mind t- mindset that said, no, God's got this under control. There's more where that came from. And so Zacchaeus, what he did, he gave half his possession to the poor. And people just began to ask the question, well, why, why, why? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? What's up with that? And over and over again, he just had to say, you know what? I had this encounter with Jesus. I had this meal with Jesus. Let me tell you about dinner with Jesus. We got together and broke bread. Let me tell you what happened when I met with Jesus. Here's the third thing. It transformed his finances, transformed his relationship. Here's the third thing. I think it also transformed his purpose for living. I would love, I would love, I wish there was a sequel to the story of Zacchaeus. There isn't one. This is all we got. But I have to believe when you think about the trajectory of his life, okay, the trajectory that we see in his life, there had to be a brand new focus, a brand new meaning, a brand new purpose. Because now he's living with this transformed heart, right, that wants different things, a transformed mind that thinks a different way about all this stuff. And that's what I'm telling you. That is what I want for every one of you, to be freed up from this. The scarcity kind of mentality. And, and many of us here at Community, I think we're experiencing this transformation in our hearts, in our minds. And, uh, and I, want, I want to share one of our stories from right here at the Yellow Box. And I want you to hear uh, from Dave and Catherine. 
I'm Dave Kradowitz. This is my wife, Catherine, and we've been coming to community for about a year and a half now. We were a little scared to come to community since it had been so long since we had come to church. So I was always looking for something. Things just fell into place last summer. We walked in, we immediately saw Chris, and he was so welcoming, and we had no idea who any of these people were, and they were so nice. And we're like, ooh, what's wrong with everybody? <laughs> and I started to notice things like, oh, this person has sandals, and that person's wearing shorts, and there's a, a football jersey, and um, just very non-judgmental, just very welcoming, and that's really what kept us coming back. I would say I was just very lost for a long time, and it wasn't from not having support from my family or anything like that. I think I got mixed in with the wrong crowd of people and just made bad decision after bad decision. I think for me, using drugs and drinking all the time was more of a numbing, a coping mechanism. Numerous stints in rehab and this therapy and that therapy and just nothing ever helped and I was mad. I was mad at God. Things were so bad and the drug abuse, everything was so bad, I actually tried to commit suicide. And miraculously, um, I, I failed at it. And I woke up two days later and I know, I know that God was right there then. I know he was there and that's why, you know, I was still alive. Finally taking that step and walking through those doors that day, it, it changed everything. I have to thank God every single day for everything that he's blessed us with. I'm not a big fan of journaling. I have to force myself to do it. But for some reason, I journaled years ago, I mean, 10, 20 years ago, when I was at my worst, and I found those journals. And to go back and to read, you know, what I was struggling with, what I was looking for, and to fast forward now to where we are and see that God has answered so many prayers over the years, even before I really knew who he was, uh, we were just very blessed, very blessed. So I'm just, I'm so thankful for everything that we've gotten out of community. I feel like if God wasn't first in our lives, I don't think we'd be anywhere where we are right now. In the past year, so many things have changed in our lives. In a year and a half, we were baptized, we got engaged, we got married, um, we've helped out with Alpha courses, uh, we just bought our first house, and I just know without God being the center of focus for us, none of that would have ever happened. You know, and I, I remember we used to give. We'd show up and I'd throw, you know, five or ten dollars in the giving back to God. And, you know, now I'm doing it online. When we got married and I started doing all the bills and I showed her what we were giving, and her eyes kind of got <laughs> big. I said, yeah, because everything we have is from him. And I keep giving and he keeps giving back. So he's blessed us and it's our prayer that we can continue to bless others as well. Everything that we have is because of God. So I want to pour back into helping other people find their way back to God in any way, shape, form that I can. God, God is, is number, number one, one and, and we are one on this mission. mission. I'm going to embarrass Dave and Catherine. Can I come over and hug you guys? Would you guys thank them? Is that a great story? And I mean, and I felt like I kind of got in a front row seat to see what uh, Dave and, and Catherine and, and you know how we talk about that, how, you know, hey, when you find your way back to God, your life works, uh, your family works, your business works, I mean, community work, the whole world works. I mean, I think your guys are getting a little taste of that, aren't you? I mean, when you find, 
And it's not without challenges, but that's the way God meant for it to be. And here's the deal. Let me give you a couple things, okay? I think you're here because, like Zacchaeus, you want to have an encounter with Jesus. You want to find your way back to God. And when you have that encounter with him, what happens is he changes your heart and he changes your mind. And good stuff. I mean, he only wants good stuff for us, happens. And here's the other thing that happens. And when all of us begin to have that encounter with Jesus and it's a transformed heart and transformed mind, what happens then is all of a sudden we have this transformed church and we become this Acts 4 church, okay, who's united, as it says, in one heart, right, and one mind. Why? Because we have the one heart and one mind of Jesus together. And all of a sudden, extraordinarily, extraordinary things begin to happen because we're this kind of this generous people who are just letting God work not only in us but also through us. Um, like many of you, um, for the past couple of weeks, I've been, I've been thinking about uh, the, this commitment card. Because for those of you that can make it to Soldier Field who already made a commitment, we'd love to have you be there. It's going to be a blast. For the rest of us on uh, February 28th, that's when we'll get a chance to come together as one church with one vision. And I think God's going to do something extraordinary through us on this one mission. But first, I'm telling you, don't forget this. He always has to work in us before he can work through us. He has to work in us before he can work through us. And so in a moment, the, uh, the ushers are, are going to have, we're going to have, bring communion to you. And I want you to think about this. What's communion? It's a simple meal, isn't it? It's a simple meal. Small piece of bread, reminder of the body of Christ. Small cup of juice, reminder of the blood of Christ that I want you to hold on to. But what did we just learn about, learn about through Zacchaeus? Extraordinary things can happen over a meal. Especially when that meal is with Jesus. Because when you have a meal with Jesus, it can transform your heart and it can transform your mind. Let me just give you kind of some handles moving forward here. Real brief. Here's how God's been at work transforming my heart and my mind. And when it comes to this area of generosity, I think there's times when he calls me, I'll give you three words, just stretch. He wants me to stretch for his mission. Uh, almost every, every month, and sometimes more frequently every month, there's different opportunities where people who have needs and causes uh, that are beyond what we do here at Community, uh, they make themselves apparent that, that need to be responded to, and, and Sue and I will stretch, will stretch to be generous towards those causes. There's other times that um, God reminds me everything I have is his, and he'll say, you know what, I want you to sacrifice some of the things you want so others can have what they need. And he calls me to sacrifice. So one of the things, I mean, uh, Sue and I, we, we sponsored two kids that are uh, compassion kids. We're, we're, I told you a couple weeks ago, we're going to become a safe family. And that's going to require some sacrifice. But that's what followers of Jesus do. There's a third category. The third category, it's stretch and sacrifice, is what I'd call spirit-led. And that's where you just kind of feel, because if Jesus is alive inside, you feel him kind of prompt you, going like, no, I want you to do this in faith. Now, when we did All In and we built this auditorium, we built the Leadership Training Center, Sue and I, we really did, we felt kind of a prompting to give more spirit-led, more than we'd ever given before. And then when that came to an end, we kind of decided, you know what, we're just going to keep giving that same amount. God's been blessed, we're just going to keep giving that same amount. And as, I, and as we move into this, this, this next season with this one mission, that's what I'm asking. I'm saying, I really sense that God's saying, I want you to do something that's in faith, that's being led by the Spirit. That kind of goes beyond a stretch or even just kind of sacrificing a line, line item in your budget. And 
And um, I'm kind of asking God, okay, God, what do you want us to do? So as we take communion, and as a church family, I'd encourage you to meditate on this verse. It's kind of the key verse from Acts 4.32 that we've been looking at. But most importantly, and here's what I want for every one of you, use this moment to meet with Jesus, to have a meal with Jesus, and just go ahead and say, Lord, it's all yours. But I ask that you transform my heart and you transform my mind. What's your spirit leading me to do? Because amazing things, amazing things can happen over a simple meal. I'll ask that to come forward. If you would right now, pass out the communion elements. Go ahead and hold on to those, please. And then we'll take those together as a church family. simple meal with Jesus. Don't underestimate what could happen even in the next few moments. 
whether this is for the very first time or the 1,000th time. When you encounter the real Jesus, it transforms your heart, the way you feel about things. It transforms your mind, the way you think about things, because the Spirit comes to life inside you. So prayerfully asking for exactly that, a transformed heart and a transformed mind. Let's take this bread together right now. Let's take the cup together right now. Father God, we know every good gift comes from you love us relentlessly and you love us tenderly. So Lord, we ask that you give us the courage to trust you, to work in us, to transform our hearts and transform our minds, not to live in fear, to not live in selfishness, not live in a way that we hold on, afraid there's not going to be enough, but Lord, let us live joy of abundance, knowing that you're a good, good, good father, and there's more where that came from. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask everyone, if you would, if you'd stand to your feet, we're going to read our one creed, our one prayer together. You'll see it up on the screen here, and uh, let's just go ahead and together on the count of three, let's just... Make that our heartfelt kind of prayer together. One, two, three. Father God, you are number one in our lives, and we are one on this mission. We commit to grow in our generosity so that you can do a mighty work in us and through us. Help us reach those who are far from you. Restore your dream for our world and reproduce the mission in others. We declare all of these things so that you can be known so that more and more people will find their way back to you. We give it all to you, Lord, for you are the one we love. And everyone said, amen.